is of people who are doing the same thing, who are trying to grow and be the best version of themselves they can be, and really deeply looking at their flaws and their fears and their frailties and, and, and trying to work through them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's been modeled to me, and now I know I'm a model for that, just as part of a larger community. So I, I feel super grateful for that. But in other contexts of my life, so you know, I use the book as an example. So I hired somebody, um, I spent, well, I'll just say how it happened. You know, I went on, uh, I went on a, a trip traveling. I was just thinking about it on the way here. Traveling is a, is a clear the deck place. Yep. I mean, never mind the desert. Um, I'm actually planning a trip in a couple of months for the same reason. When I get out of my regular routine and I get into a new place, I'm there with fresh eyes. I'm totally in the moment. I know I might never come back here. It's Tuesday at one o'clock. Like, whoa, what happens in Belgium at Tuesday at one? Like I'm like on it. Right. (laughs) And, and when I come back to my regular life, like I feel like it brings up in some ways, my, my best version of myself, yeah. super present, super excited, engaged with what's happening, people, places, things. Uh-huh. And then I get back into my routine life and all the things that don't support that become painfully obvious. Uh-huh. Like it feels, if it feels like I have to like squish myself back down into the box of my life, I have often had radical, cha- made radical changes to my life after taking a big trip. I've left relationships, I've quit jobs, I've moved, um, realizing that having had that experience for a week or two or three of my, of my kind of optimal way of living, I want to live that now. Mm-hmm. And we get choices, we can. If, you know, if I'm unhappy, I, I need to make some changes. There's nobody else to blame for that. So, um, so what happened when we got back from this trip, we went to Europe, I took my kids, I have two kids, and... Um, and I took my kids. We went to five countries in, in 17 days. It was an awesome trip. And, um, and so I get back, and I remember it was a day like today. We're in San Francisco. It's a beautiful, clear day, and we live near the ocean. And I was out on my deck, and I was looking at the ocean and my beautiful house. And I have, I have another house in the East Bay. I have two houses, two kids, two dogs, two trucks. I get two of fucking everything. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm miserable. Like, I, mm. I felt this, like, almost suicidal feeling like I don't like my life and and I had you know the work I do is very visual uses the active imagination a lot as a way as a bridge between uh, the outer world and the inner world between the world of spirit and the non-physical realities of our own truth of our emotions of of greater consciousness um, and bringing those into our own little brain using for me it's very visual different people have different ways so I often have images happen to me and um, work a lot with archetypes and guides and teachers and angels and all kinds of different things and um, and so as I was sitting there and I was on the phone with somebody like why do I want to die um, <laughs> something's wrong here what do I need to change and this image of myself at the end of my life this image of myself as an old person mm. came like very clear I can still feel it she's over here she's on the right she's happy with me right now and she she was like girl you can either do the thing and get a thumbs up or you cannot do the thing and get a thumbs down and like you know at the end of the day at the end when I'm on my deathbed I don't get a second chance to be Renee McKenna doing this and just to be clear what is the thing so the thing at that point was so they felt like um, two choices one was my profession and one was my personal life. And there was um, 
definitely limitations happening in both. I've been doing the therapy work that I do for a long time. But, you know, I have a little home office. I certainly am not using all my gifts and talents. And the other was my personal life and my home and my marriage. And so I was like, do I write my book or do I leave my husband? <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to write the book first. <laughs> Subsequently, I actually have left my husband, but <laughs> there's an order of operations apparently. And so, so writing the book came first. So I, um, you know, I, it's an interactive universe. I believe in, in higher good. And I believe that there are, uh, there's a whole realm of grace that's there to support our highest good. And so I started to talk about it. I started to do some research. I have a friend who works in publishing. And I'll just say within two weeks, I had a writing support group and I had a ghost writer. Mm. And I had a talk with him. Because at that point, I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. I had kind of been trying. I had like 25 starts of writing this book. I just couldn't do it by myself. And he said to me, um, okay, so we can probably do six months, six, or, six to eight months. And, um, and this is how much I charge. And I had exactly that amount of money in my bank account. It was all my savings. Uh -huh. It was every penny of my savings, but I had exactly the amount. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not a huge signs and symbols person, but maybe I am. You know, I was like, all right. <laughs> so I wrote the big fat check and we spent eight months writing the book and I got a 269 page transcript at the end that was technically publishable and I hated it. I couldn't even read it. I couldn't even look at it. I read the first chapter and I was like, oh my God, I would never read this book. Did you just think that that was maybe just you? No. Or did you run it by other people? No, I didn't show anyone. <laughs> I said, if I don't love this book, I can't put it out. Mm. And, and so I'm bringing this back to what the, what the question was. So in the process of writing that book, which is, it's basically the, it was basically like the, the core text of, it's the book I have now, only the book, the allies and demons is, is, um, uh, much more condensed. And mm -hmm. I think, um, I think it's going to be shorter and more put it to the point. But one of the things when you're writing, and I think it happens all the time unconsciously when we're out is the idea of how am I presenting myself? to mm. people, right? How am I presenting myself? And in my work, we talk a lot about having a mask, a social mask, a sexual mask, a friendship mask, a family mask, like that we put on these different masks to be who we think other people want us to be. Mm. Think who we, or even our own idealized self-image of who we think we are, who we think we want to be, that may not be actually that connected with who, what's true, depending on how unconscious and how, that's a bummer. The further you are away from your authentic self, the more of a bummer it is, really. But anyway, the way the book was written, uh, we had, you know, I was a little bit up in the air about it, but the way the book was written was from this place of authority. Like, Renee Bacchetta, therapist for 30 years, speaks to you from, you know, and I hate <laughs> that, um, that idea, you know, there's a hierarchy, it's like, I'm well and you're sick or yeah. I'm the doctor and you're the patient and and that's crap like I'm a human I'm more fucked up than most people I know like I'm still doing <laughs> this work I got a lot of bags I'm still unpacking um, I have a tremendous amount of experience and tremendous transformation and healing has happened for me so I, I know that I am an example but um, but you know there was this question do I swear 
do, how do I dress? Like, do I put on the white coat like they do on, on the commercial for Excedrin PM and pretend <laughs> like I'm a doctor and tell you that this is my authoritative opinion? People are very influenced by that stuff, yeah, right? Um, or do I wear my like heavy metal t-shirt and like <laughs> say the F word like I was raised in Boston and, and um, you know, I was thinking, oh, do I get this little mole taken off my face? Do I try to lose my accent? Like, do I try to become a more acceptable version of myself? Mm. That was the question. And, and the way that book was written, all 269 pages of it were from a mask. Mm. And so, you know, I've spent the last year rewriting it in my own authentic voice. And so, so I will tell you that, that the writing of that book in that way did come from some experience. Um, you know, stepping, I had an opportunity in January of 2017 to step out in a very public way. Um, you know, I, I was lead of Women's March, San Francisco, uh-huh. and there was a lot of things that went down in that process. Um, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had, and I'm so grateful to have been able to be a part of facilitating that amazing event that ended up being, of course, a worldwide event for like Jeez. 7 million people. Yeah. But, um, but there was also, when you put yourself, when, as a privileged white woman, putting myself out as the face of an event that it stands for social justice, um, there was some really venomous attacks on me just as a figurehead uh-huh. um, that were quite terrifying and, and upsetting um, from different communities um, and demographics in the Bay Area who, who have been disenfranchised and victimized and brutalized for centuries, and I was the person that they could shoot at. And so, mm. so there was this, out of that experience, uh, was the idea, well, like, how do I, if I'm going to really step out in a public way, how do I do that in a safe way? How do I do that? How do I do that? Like, do I be an authority? Do I, like, what's the, so it felt almost like a political thing. And mm. I mean, since, so it's been a lot of contemplation about that, about my, my package, my brand, like, who am I going to be? And, um... You know, happy to report that uh, the brand is just going to be me <laughs> <laughs> now, and 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 how I protect myself is to come from a place of truth and compassion. How does a uh, one go about finding their authentic self? So that's a big question. It's a big question. I, I I have a lot of answers for that question. I mean, I think. I think really it, the authentic self is always here, right here where we are. And the, the easiest direct, fastest direct route is really just to sit quietly with yourself mm. and to observe what's happening. Um, I like, you know, you were asking me a little bit early about writing stuff down. Like I, I, I like to think about the chakra energy systems if people aren't familiar with that, so in, in Chinese medicine and a lot of Eastern medicine, there's like different ideas of different chakras. So there's one at the top of our head, one between our eyebrows, one at our throat, our heart, one at our solar plexus, one just below our belly button, and one at the base of our spine. And each of them has a slightly different um, personality or has, has a different 
attribute holds different intentions in the world and um, not just in our body but our body the, those parts of our body are all metaphors for different ways of being in the world and so most of us spend most of our time in our head mm-hmm. right most of our time is spent in our head and so and that's a valid place right there's a val <laughs> there is a lot and that's pretty much the place between your eyebrows right like that's there is a place um, but to open up spiritually like how do I feel spiritually what does that even mean to me I think it's about asking questions Mm. and then listening for the answer that comes from within us Um, you know my my throat is my voice Um, what do I have to say to myself to other people am I full of self-hatred and criticism and judgment and fear am I full of love and compassion and forgiveness and inspiration or wisdom Mm. Um, what's happening in my heart like if I really bring my awareness down into my chest how am I feeling Um, it's really about discovery like how do we find it is really about like finding our authentic self I think it's masked for most of most of us and to have that inquiry like how am I actually feeling in my heart I know I didn't have access to my heart for a really long time it was closed it just wasn't safe to be there like physically actually I did stuff in yoga to try to open it and mm. Um, what's happening in our gut, in our belly. That's where a lot of people feel their anxieties, their fears, their guilt, their shame. Um, And, you know, you drop further down, like below your belly button, that's the area of creativity. I mean, you may not feel it, but what is your inspiration? What inspires you? What what is your creative bent? What, What is the thing that you bring and make in the world? And it doesn't have to be physical art mm-hmm. some people their creativity is is loving children some people their creativity is to facilitate safety in groups some people's creativity is growing plants um you know i mean there's or making food i mean those are kind of obviously creative i think but but maybe not maybe people don't think of those as art you know people might limit it just to a two-dimensional thing that goes on the wall or a three-dimensional thing that sits on a desk um, so, so I think that finding the authentic self comes from, from continued inquiry into the self. And it's really, because I personally believe we are all connected with the divine, with this greater oneness, Atman, whatever you want to call it, um, life force, it's a verb and we're all connected with it. And so as we plumb deeper into ourself, it really is a bottomless pit I don't think it's a pit pits bad (laughs) Um, it's a bottom it's a bottomless it's an endless it's an infinite adventure um, of who what is our authentic self and what's it tied to and what can come through that so it's about questions and if the answers to those questions are I don't know then you need to spend more time sitting because the answers the answers are there Mm. does that answer your question Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to have to sit with that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You want to talk about art? I guess. We'll talk about art. So. I mean, yeah. Well, I like to tell my art stories fun. You know, I, um, (laughs) so I talked about, you know, high school. I didn't go to art school. And, uh, and I, one of the things I'm a really good copyist And again, I had this attitude of like other people's art is better than mine, Mm -hmm. but I like it when people say, Ooh, that's really good. 
I, that mm. was most of my art was done with that in mind of mm. getting your approval of you to tell me that it was good. And then that was some kind of affirmation of me as a person somehow. But so I really didn't do much art. I certainly didn't have my own voice as an artist. Um, and I took a couple art classes in college and you know, one really instructive moment, I might've already told you the story. Um, we were doing a realistic drawing. It was actually a complicated piece of machinery. We were all drawing it from different perspectives. And, and the teacher came up to me after and he said, he looked at my drawing and he said, it's technically very good, but it's not art. And I knew right then what he was talking about. I knew it. Mm. It was, some people might think he was mean. <laughs> I was kind of like mean teachers, actually. They tell <laughs> the truth. And, um, but I knew what he meant. It was technically good, but it, there was no heart connected with it. There was no essence of me connected with it. It was really done so that he would say, that's really good. Mm. It wasn't me coming out on the paper. And so it was, a, it was a pivotal moment for me as an artist. And I didn't do art for a really long time. A really long time. And even up to that point, most of the art that I had done, it would be for gifts for people. And I would mostly copy stuff that I liked. I would copy other people's artwork and give it as a, as a gift mm -hmm. to someone. And I had these kids and we started to go to this kind of down and dirty preschool. And they always put me on the art table with the two to four year olds. And it was so amazing, you know, and it was the kind of place where this wasn't about creating projects. They would just throw a bunch of like, like they would throw tin foil and glitter and glue and paint on the table. And then the kids could like do whatever they wanted with uh -huh. it kind of a stuff. There was always just, they would throw different materials down and they, sometimes they'd have an idea, but the kids could make whatever they want. So I was with all these kids just like totally psyched to like put glitter all over the left side of their <laughs> face and paint their hair and like make these complicated things that look like poo and then and then they tell you well like this was a giraffe and he has a spaceship and then the shark ate his toes and then the dog came and you know and they had these whole like elaborate internal processes that was coming out in this external messes that the kids were making with these beautiful colors it's all about process and so much fun and it opened up it opened up this creativity artistic part of me that I, you know, I have no memory of it being open. It probably was when I was very little, but, um, my parents were pretty uptight. So, you know, I, anyway, and I got this, someone sent me a video. I don't know who, and I still show it to people all the time. It's called prodigy of color. It's about this girl, Aaliyah, Aaliyah. Oh, I should know her last name. I can't think of it. And, um, it's a video of her when she was four and she has artist parents there from Australia and, um, and she is a gifted artist. She's actually still, she's, I think she's 12 now. She's a quite, quite well-known artist. Oh wow. Yeah. She just, anyway, it's about a 15 minute video and it changed my world. I watched this little girl like pour paint and drop stuff into the paint and dance around these huge canvases and and tell those stories like the preschool kids were doing, but, but the art was fabulous and wow. it was art. She was making art. Like she wasn't, it wasn't a good drawing. It was art. And I honest to God, 
I went out that evening and I went in the backyard with a canvas and I started throwing paint and dropping stuff into it. And I haven't done much with a paintbrush since then because I, my intention at that point was I needed to break my perfectionism and I needed to break this idea of doing something so that you would like it. Hmm. And so that it could be more what, what it was that wanted to come through me. I, I'm... And it opened up this whole way to do art. And to go back to my original intention of using my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people. So this preschool is a big preschool. It's one of the biggest co-op preschools in San Francisco. It's called Playmates. And it's out in the outer, outer sunset. And there are 90 families there. It's a big preschool and a big campus and fabulous place, but it looked like crap. Uh, I mean, the building was awful. It needed painted. It was dirty. and. Um, the, yeah, the physical plant was a wreck. And the one thing I am good at is making things beautiful. So, you know, as I sat with the kids in this, in this place that had so much heart and so little visual, <laughs> I thought, how can, what can I do here? And I started to see murals on the walls. And so I asked them if I could paint, can I paint this wall? And I made a proposal and they said yes. And so over the course of five years, I did make eight major art installations there. Wow. Including a giant, I mean, there's a mural there that's about, it's about 200 square feet. Wow. And, and so I started <laughs> to do art in a public way to benefit other people. And no one, and it was, I liked it too because it was kind of anonymous. It wasn't like being in art class holding the thing, being like, do you like this? It was like, yeah. no one had to know. <laughs> so that really also opened me up as an artist and also started my love of public art. Mm. And... Um, a lot of the art I do is pre-approved and a lot of the art I do is not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, I like to go out in the middle of the night and spray paint stuff. Yeah. Um, not in a destructive way. Often what I do is I spray paint over graffiti and try to make it beautiful. Mm. So, so that's, that's some of my art story. I mean, and from that, it gave me the courage to start you know, I was painting on these, I was paint pouring, which is super fun. Um, I love to paint. What is that? Paint pours. So, so from these big murals that I did, I bought, I was painting on the side of buildings. So I was using high gloss exterior paint, which is incredibly durable and you can get in any color. So, mm. and because I was painting primarily murals for kids, I love bright colors anyway. Um, I had all these quarts of bright colors, huge bright bold colors in this exterior uh, acrylic latex. And so that's what I started to, because I was overrun with the paint, um, that was what I would pour. So I literally like pour it out of the can or I pour it into smaller. I bought, a, I bought like two cases of ketchup bottles and I poured all the paint in those and I could squirt the paint. Oh, wow. And... And so that's really, and then dropping, I love collage painting. Like I have, I started to collect all these beads and feathers and drop stuff into the paint to see what it does to make it more three-dimensional. Mm. Again, kind of echoing these kids that are probably now in middle school that um, <laughs> really inspired me with these different kinds of art. And the thing about paint pouring that I really like is that working with the paint is like working with another entity because if you pour four colors next to each other or pour a color and then pour a color on top of it like mm -hmm. it has its own personality it does its own thing and you can tip the canvas yeah. and use gravity and that 
it's not, I can have some idea, but the paint has its own ideas. So it almost feels like collaborative art Hmm. working with the paint and the materials. I just did something like that the other day. Did you? Yeah. Like pour paints on top of each other and just like let them dance together as I, you know, put them upright and like let gravity have its way. Spraying water. And ah. other chemicals on it too adds a whole other oh, thing, which is really fun. Yeah, each thing you add into it adds its own thing, and then you can add heat or wind. I use a blow dryer a lot and blow stuff around. Yeah, it's really oh cool. Yeah, there's a whole you're working with the elements to collaborate. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Oh, I'll have to see what you did after. You'll have to post it with your. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not look good, but it was fun. Um, so yeah. I mean, I've just been getting more into that, like taking scratch paper and like painting. I got like a full box of paint like two years ago from a friend who didn't need it anymore. And I've just been like going off of that and half of it's dry and gone now. But um, well, so even dry paint is interesting. Mm. So you can stick chunks of paint into the paint. Oh, interesting. Like, to get through... I mean, it's fine. I, I kind of try to work with whatever's there just to see. Yeah. Like, the paint will get a skin on it, and I'll, like, pull the skin off and slap it in there, and it oh, adds, cool. like, interesting, crinkly elements to it. And um, slowly, I've been working... You know, I, I did a, some abstract... I haven't done any abstract stuff in a while, but then I started to use the paint pouring more for directive art, and... You know, I, I, people ask me, would you paint this painting for me? Sure. I started to do what I had done historically to paint pictures for somebody for like their birthday or an anniversary or wedding gift or whatever. And, and so, so I started to actually make more of the art that's probably, uh, cause I'm more of a semi-realist than a, than an abstract person. And, um, and so so I started to gather up some paintings, and then you know, of course, in San Francisco, we have we have um, the open studios every fall, which is fabulous. And I had a friend. Do you know about open studios? No. Oh my God, he doesn't know about open studios. So San Francisco, in September, October, November, has open studios every year, and each week or a couple of weeks, different sections of the city are opened for open studios. And you can either have an, an open studio of your own, like you could have an open studio here, um, or you can be part of a collective open studio and there are people that gather together. And so sometimes there are people's homes and businesses or in actual art studios that people will open. There's a whole, um, so the so the open studios, who's it done? Artspan is who runs it. Oh, Artspan. Okay. Artspan runs it and they'll help you find other people to collaborate with. They have a huge catalog that comes out. They do a lot of promotion for it. And there's people that do open studios every weekend as patrons um, and will go to every open studio all over the city or, you know, out here in the Outer Sunset in the Richmond. Um, so we get one or two weekends out here. Oh, wow. And so, and it's cheap to get in. It's like a hundred bucks. I mean, it depends what you do. And of course, if you want to buy an ad and blah, 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 it can be more. Um, yeah, so not, so it was a little bit after that, you know, a couple of years had gone by and uh, I was actually working with wire sculpture at that point. Um, cool. Through this Buddhist meditation called the Jewel Tree, which is a really 
inspiring meditation. I was teaching art to kids in first and second grade. So I was always looking for art projects for the kids. That started a whole other thing for me because as I would look for projects for them, I was really immersed in looking at what people were doing. And so I started to do some of the stuff myself. So anyway, I started to do these, um, these jewel trees and, and one of my friends said, oh, I'm doing open studios. And like yourself, I was like, what is that? <laughs> and <laughs> so she told me, she said, I said, oh, could I do it with you? And she said, well, I'm a painter, so I don't really want any paintings. Do you have anything three-dimensional? And I was like, yeah, I have these sculptures. So, and so I whipped up a couple more and, um, and I brought them over to her house and made little cards and set them up and I sold four of them. Wow. I know. Very inspiring. So I was like, oh, dude, that was good. So <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. So, so it, it's, and then I did open studios again the next year and then, and had another big, I mean, the next year I sold like 15 pieces of art and, um, and so that inspired me to start to do shows. And then I started to, to use that. I'm a deadline person. I like to have a, and I, I like to have a goal. Mm -hmm. And if I have a deadline, it will make me do, it will make me do it. Cause I don't just do art because I need to do art. Um, because otherwise it fills up my garage. So I got to have a reason to do it. And so as I started to sell, um, so as I started to sell art, I started to do more shows. I started to create more stuff. And then over time, you know, I have a pretty, I, I mean, for me, I have a pretty big inventory. I mean, I have about, I think I have about 30 paintings out now showing in different places. Yeah. And, and I just had someone last week that wants me to show in a, in a framing store that they have over in Oakland. Ah. And I had two, two different people ask me to, it, I had kind of an art day last week. Two different people asked me to commission pieces for them. Cool. Yeah. So. Nice. Um, so my art's pretty exciting. I'm still not, I mean, my goal of where I want to get to is I want to find a way to paint poor, realistic portraits of people. Yeah. To blend the paint pouring and the looseness of that with a realistic portrait of a person that I have not, haven't got there yet, but that is my life goal. Wow. Yeah. Because I love to paint people. I've been experimenting. I just did, you know, we're part of an art salon that's every two months, the San Francisco Art Salon. And so, which was another dream of mine to start that. We've had three of them. They've been super successful. And, and we're going to have another one in April out in the Richmond district. And, um, and so we need to get an Eventbrite page or something so people can look it up. Yeah. It will be, so you can search San Francisco Art Salon and you'll find it. And, what? Um, yeah, it's oh, on Eventbrite. Even yeah, it's yeah. on Eventbrite. That, wow. that's how, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I need to make up a new one for the April. Whatever the second Sunday in April is, that's the date it will be. Do you be think there. that will move to a different spot eventually? I don't know. I mean, because I thought that was like a closed group. I didn't even know that was. Oh, no, open. it's on Eventbrite. We've actually had what? some random people come. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, how cool. I okay. think, yeah. So, um, you know, through that salon too, I mean, I'm, I'm a group centered person. So through the salon and me encouraging other people to kind of push their growing edge. I, so I just did some photography, um, I'm working, I'm going to do more photography working around with the human body. I really like working with nudes. I, it, and so, um, I'm interested in erotic art. I'm a little bit interested in the kink community and, uh -huh. and, and how that can work into art. Um, so as I explore myself looking, looking for ways to express that, 
Um, and it gets back to that similar, so I was like, you know, I'm Mrs. McKenna. I'm the art teacher at St. Gabriel's School for nine years. This is my first year I didn't teach. Wow. And, um, and so, you know, it's been a question mark of how do I explore my own very adult art because a lot of the stuff I'm interested in is sexuality and violence and, and a lot of the life experience that I don't want my fourth graders to know about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably best. <laughs> um, and how to explore those things without... How do, I, how, do, how do I do that and not, like, horrify children who might be following me on Instagram or, um, and so actually one of the things I've done is I have a pseudonym. Ah. Yeah. I have a pseudonym. I didn't know. Yeah. Wait, did I? I don't know. I don't know if you know. Um, yeah. So I have a pseudonym, uh, which I can say on here because I don't know if there's any fourth graders listening. No. So Ravona White Magic is my pseudonym. How do you spell that? R-A-V-O-N-A. Ravona. Ravona. And uh, white magic, white magic with a K. Yeah. And, um, I, uh, the name Ravona actually came from Russia because Ravona means Raven in Russia. And I spent some time in Russia and they love to name people pet names. And so I was Ravona. Yeah. Yeah. I was also Zaychik, which means rabbit, um, (laughs) which is a whole different story. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah. So, um, so that's, I think that's my solution to that. Um, I have a FetLife page. I haven't posted a lot on that. Um, cause I've just really started to look at erotic art and the more adult themes of art, mm-hmm. um, which fascinate and excite me. Um, but I'm still against that, like social mask a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because I also had an art nonprofit for six years called Art in Every Classroom, and uh, that was actually how we supported the art program at the kids' school, and um, because the Catholic school didn't have any money, so we used it. We could, so we received grants, and then we gave away grants. We gave away um, over a hundred thousand dollars in six years. Wow! Yeah, to classrooms to to benefit about probably 50,000 children. Holy crap. Yeah, in the Bay Area and also in South Sudan, Africa, and Haiti. Yeah. How do you do all of this? What the (laughs) heck? That's a secret. Yeah, see, there's a lot. Those are all my... So using (laughs) all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people. Literally, every time I talk to you, it's like something new that's just like crazily dumb. You didn't know I was the... The director of a foundation. Yeah, we folded it up. <laughs> um, my goal had been to get a standing art program at the school that my daughter is at now. Mm-hmm. She's in seventh grade there now. And um, we started when she was in kindergarten. And uh, last year, they actually brought an on-staff art teacher on. Wow. And, so, and, and this year, they created an art room. I'm, I'm, so, you know... I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in magic. And I believe that when we set our intentions and have perseverance, or how I like to say, perseverance, um, <laughs> and have perseverance and singleness of purpose and are willing to put our own, again, we get back to the chakras, have, have my intention, which is from my head, and my um, and my intention, which is from my heart, uh-huh. and my intention which is from my belly which is more my actions then we can make shit happen and so um it's not all me but uh certainly not but um 
yeah, so there's a standing art program there now, and I could quit. So, <laughs> so I stopped teaching art and um, for this year. And it's so cute, you know, the kids. This is, this is so nice. Um, every time I go to school, the kids say, Ms. McKenna, Ms. McKenna, will you teach art next year? We don't like the new art teacher. She's not as nice as you are. <laughs> <laughs> she makes us do these things. You let us do whatever we want, and we really want to. So they're begging me to do art next year. I might do it when they're in eighth grade. That'll be their last. <laughs> I might do it again. It's a lot of work, but anyway. <laughs> but it's also very it is very inspiring for me too too I mean that was the whole there's a there's like a spiritual law that I, I like to say all good service serves the server so whenever we do service if I feel depleted or exhausted or resentful after I do service it's bad service. I shouldn't be doing it. Whether it's me or whether it's who I'm serving, it's bad service. If I do service, I should feel fulfilled and joyful. It should add to my life um, it, and in whatever way it does, whether it adds to my life monetarily or in, with inspiration or relationship or, or my health or how I feel. Um, all good service should serve the server. And so, you know, teaching art has absolutely been you know, exponentially informative and helpful in, in my own in blossoming as an artist. So I don't copy anybody anymore. Mm. I haven't copied a painting in over 10 years mm. and I never will again. I'll never copy anybody's art because I finally found my own voice. Um, yeah. And it's still, it's still in formation. It's not where I want it to be, but, um, but it is fun. It's and that's a lot. It's fun. I love playing with color, and I like people. I, you know, I mean, I'm in a position, luckily, where I have a couple places that just show my art for free, and people buy it, mm. which is even better. <laughs> 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 yeah, I sold two paintings this month, so nice. it is nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, you know, I'm not saying like I got like four thousand dollars or anything. You know, a couple hundred bucks, but you know. Yeah, I was uh, walking around the other day, and I stumbled upon them at the uh, center. At the graduate center, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've raised my prices over time instead of, like, Does that scare ooh. you? What? Raising your prices? Not anymore. I mean, that's part of growing into your whole self. No, because at first I would be, like, would you buy this 25 cents? You know, kind of thing, right? Like, oh, I can't believe anybody would buy it. And then, and then as I started to really think about, you know, my time and um, valuing myself, valuing my time, and how, you know, for me, how, I, how to price the painting, um, I, I kind of have an hourly rate because I worked as an hourly <laughs> rate person for so long. I yeah. kind of have an hourly rate, and I kind of base the price of the painting a little bit on my hourly rate size, uh -huh. what the canvas costs. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, I'm looking forward now. We have a friend, Shane, who's a very talented artist, and she's been... Um, so she's been doing a lot of drawings. She sends me doodles every day. And I asked her if I could use some of her doodles as a basis for paintings. She's been drawing angels. Oh, cool. And so I asked her, I, we, I might even make that the theme of 
the I might make it allies angels and demons the the theme of um, the art show for April. But um, so because design is not, I'm not confident as a designer. I'm like meh. I give myself a B as a designer. Um, <laughs> no, I look. That's one of the. That's why I like to look at other people's art. So anyway, I asked Shane if I could use some of her angel paintings as a basis. For paintings, and now I'm. What I need to do in the next month is create the art. I need to create the cover art for my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, it was funny because I asked Shane, "Would you help me?" Because she's a designer. I said, "Would you help me design the cover for my book?" And I gave her the title, and um, so it's Allies and Demons, and the subtitle is um, is Spiritual Power for Healing and Transformation accessing spirit for healing and transformation and um and so and after i asked her that i i kind of sketched out a rough design for the cover and then she sent me hers and they're the same yeah we both so sketched crazy. out the same cover for the book so that's so that's crazy. the so that's the cover for the book <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so what are you gonna do with the sketches like are you gonna I'll paint them. Okay. I'm going to paint pour them. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I feel like, you know, I have this blue, there's a sky blue out here. I can see it actually today. There's yeah. a sky blue in the center of a midday Northern California sky. That's become my favorite color. It's like that deep sky blue. It's, it's so it's, crazy. It's amazing yeah. color. And, um, <laughs> and so I want to do, I'm thinking like blues, greens, purples, um, on the demon side and then on the allies side um like yellow red orange mm. kind of blending of those so it'll be yeah so blue and orange complementary mm. colors more or less yeah yeah a little green and purple in there yeah, <laughs> yeah. i like i like complementary things mm. so makes everything can you hear that noise pop yeah <laughs> 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 I just saw a big spike on the thing. There it is. <laughs> Spiky. Spiky. Yeah. Mm. So I can't reveal all my secrets. There's more. We'll have to wait <laughs> for the next. <laughs> Anything else? I don't know. Let's see. I just kind of like. <clears throat> What's our timing? It is 2.06. Okay. About like 10 more minutes. Great. 10 more minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. Okay. Well, I'd like to tell you a story since we brought up Let's Women's just do Since that. we brought up Women's March. You know, um, mm. I went to a lecture at City Arts and Lectures uh, last week, I guess it was. Um, and uh, this woman, Rebecca Traster, she's a, she's a, um, what is she? She's a political reporter. She followed Hillary Clinton through the election. And she just wrote a book called Good and Mad. Really intelligent woman. Good and mad. Good and mad, yeah. She's talking about channeling women's anger Mm. um, in service of social justice. More or less, that's the basic idea. And, you know, I sat there, and again, super intelligent woman. It was a really thoughtful discussion, and she knows everyone who's everything. And she's actually had her own personal interaction with the Me Too Harvey Weinstein thing where he attacked her. And, like, she kind of is in it. She knows everyone. Yeah, really interesting person. And so, you know, again, she followed Hillary through the election. Anyway, and um, so it was interesting listening, you know, and a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, you know, I have to say, 
I was uninspired. Um, I was uninspired because I don't feel like anger is the path to transformation. Um, so that's what she's... Kind of. I mean, they're looking at channeling the anger. I mean, this is where Woman's March went to, was taking the anger that every... You know, th what happened at the end was it became about the anger and the outrage. Yeah. And then how do we channel that in this way of resi resistance, right? Which, absolutely, we need people resisting. Absolutely. That is... That is a very important thing to do. It's just not what I'm interested in. And, you know, I love to tell this story because, because it's a beautiful story and it's inspiring to me, even though I lived it. So, you know, I watched, I watched the election unfold and I'm not a very political person. In fact, I'm such a sensitive person. I, I have a lot of trouble. Um, I have to be very careful how much news I actually expose myself to because it, I, I take it into my body. It's too upsetting. And a lot of it is not, um, not even the news itself, but the intention of those who are, who are producing the news is it's based on trying to get ratings and greed and manipulation mm -hmm. and outrage actually gets people to do more hits and all that. And I'm very, I can feel all of that. I hate being manipulated, but I can be manipulated. You know, I hate where people are like creating emotions in me for their own benefit. It, it all just feels really unhealthy. Yeah. So I like to know what's going on in the world, but very little happens that's important that I don't find out about at some point. So anyway, but I was very interested in the election. Um, and so I was watching it unfold. And, you know, I think a lot of people were... Well, you know, there was kind of, I think, on one side, there was a, just a belief of like, oh, well, pfft, it's obvious who's going to win. And I have to say, you know, being brought up by gun-toting Tea Party Republican parents, that I wasn't so sure about that. And, <laughs> and so when I watched what went down on election night, like, I, I wasn't shocked, but I was certainly disturbed. And you know, listening to the, to the echoes of what's now becoming this ridiculous bid for a wall and, and, the, and the institutional racism that's just, like, out on the table now. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrifying to me. And so, so I woke up in the morning after the election, and, um, you know, I have a long-time spiritual practice. It changes from week to week of what it is, but I usually do some kind of prayer and meditation. And, and so I just said, show me what to do. What can I do? How can I use my gifts and talents for the highest good of everyone involved? And um, I had no idea what that meant. Um, I mean, I didn't do anything politically except vote during that whole thing. And um, I maybe sent Hillary a hundred bucks or whatever, you know. So, um, so I, and I just did that every day. So the election was on Tuesday. I started that Wednesday night, Wednesday morning. And, um, and Saturday morning I woke up and I was still looking at Facebook, which was where I was getting a lot of my news at that point, the uh -huh. echo chamber of Facebook and, um, <laughs> chamber of Facebook. <laughs> the echo chamber. And so, um, and I saw this thing and they called it the million woman March, million woman March in Washington, DC. And I had this feeling go through my body, which I now know that 5 million other people had at the same time. And I said, I'm going. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I looked at my calendar. Do I have anything on January 21st? I don't. And I booked a plane flight to go to Washington, D.C. And I posted it on Facebook. 
And within an hour, I had 50 hits of people. What is it? I want to go. What do I do? And so, so I spent the rest of the day kind of um, responding to people and, and the responses got more, it was going out more and I could see there was a viral thing happening. I, I tried to call the, the then completely fledgling Women's March organization. There was no answer. There was no emails coming back. They, they were four people who didn't even sit together. <laughs> and, um, and so that night I started a Facebook group, um, and because I thought so many people want to go, I'll give everybody a, a central place where they can talk about ride sharing and places to stay and blah, blah, blah. And in the morning I woke up and there were a thousand members on it. Wow. Yeah. And I had never had like, I was like, oh, this must be like a viral experience. <laughs> and so, and throughout the day, like it just got more and more of people interested and the buzz got bigger. And, um, and at three in the afternoon, I got a phone call from someone who said, I'm from Women's March. I noticed you started a Facebook page and used our image. Like, who are you and what do you want? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I told him, I just want to be helpful. You know, I'm trying to facilitate the people in the Bay Area who might want to go. It's a long way and blah, blah, blah. And um, so we talked for a couple minutes and she realized that I was legit and not a nutcase. Well, <laughs> at, least, at least she doesn't think I'm a nutcase. And, um, and at the end of the conversation, she said, would you be willing to lead Women's March San Francisco? And I said, I guess that's the answer to my prayer. What can I do? Mm. And so I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And um, and that started, really, that was a catalyst. I mean, we spent the next seven weeks putting together an event that should have taken a year mm -hmm. to put together. And we had this fabulous team. It was this amazing experience. Um, you know, at the end, um, the Facebook page had 80,000 members and, um, and you know, I got to go and sit in civic center and watch the helicopters overhead. And I remember one of the police, you know, who had became my buddy cause we had to have a lot of meetings with the city and everything. And he said, you know, Renee, once the crowd gets to this place where it is right now, that means we've capped a hundred thousand. That's what we gauge. And I said, Welcome to my woman's march party. <laughs> and what it did was it really affirmed something. Um, you know, I'm from Boston and uh, John F. Kennedy is one of my personal heroes. And, um, and he said, um, every person really can make a difference and every person should try. Mm. And, um, and I think that that is what we're supposed to do with whoever we are whatever our gifts and talents are. We're supposed to find them and we're supposed to bring them out um, for the service of all of us because we really are all connected. And, um, and that is the path to joy and fulfillment. It's the only one that I know. Um, so I'm still trying to trudge it. And, um, and well, the Women's March was the preview of things to come for me or whether that was a pinnacle moment remains to be seen. But, um, <laughs> but I'm stepping out, baby. Mm -hmm. What yeah. would you like to happen? What would I like to happen? You know, there's a wave, there's a lot of talk about shifting the consciousness. Um, yeah. I think our culture is really unhealthy. I think that people are desperate and suffering and loneliness and... and 
um, materialism and consumerism and and fear of the future and disconnected from um, from the essence of life and from the beauty and the connection that's possible mm. and within themselves and, and in the greater community and in the world. And so I feel like um, I already am part, but I think I'd like to be a bigger part of this wave that I think is happening over call to deepen our experience, to get more honest and more real and more vulnerable um, and to surrender to life rather than to try to master it. Um, I think that that's our appropriate relationship is to be more in surrender um, to what's happening mm-hmm. rather than fighting and resisting. And So, I mean that on the ultimate reality, not like the Donald Trump reality or whatever, <laughs> you know, the... the <laughs> um, so... You know, what would I like to happen? So what would I like to happen? I ultimately, if I think big, I would like to teach in Europe. I would like to write, I mean, out of, out of, uh, every time I sit down to write, I find another book. I feel like I need to write. So there's like 20 books Mm. I want to write. Um, I hope I have a feeling one of them will probably be a book that's very helpful. I would love it if one of my books could be as helpful to other people as some of the books that I have read have been helpful to me. So I hope that what can come through me can really help and change people's lives. Um, you know, the processes that, that have that come through this work are incredibly transformative, and I would like to bring those out to as many people as are open to receiving them. Um, so I would, I mean, my goal has been, I love to travel and I would love to have, you know, a place in the, in the East coast. I would love to have a place in Europe. Um, I'm going to Germany, um, in April to kind of spy it out. I've heard the Germans might be very interested in this work. So hopefully I'll have a book in hand and be able to do a little, a little work in Germany and see if that's a foothold in Europe for me. Um, I have my own podcast, Spiritual Psychology, um, which you can find on almost every major carrier. And uh, I actually do. I'm going to put in a little plug. <clears throat> so I do, I do free therapy online for people uh, to really demonstrate this work of spiritual psychology and the transformation that it offers. And so, you know, if anybody who's listening here is interested, um, I do sessions over the phone. I record them. They can be anonymous. We don't need to use your name. Uh, and then I put them up on my podcast, you know, and usually do a little bit of talking about what the specific, what the specific healing modality is, whether it's in a child work or power retrieval or soul part exchange, um, healing from trauma, healing from depression, anxiety. So that's my plug. I would love it. Um, I would love to have like some kind of a syndicated radio show. That would be like, I would love that. Cause I, yeah, I love to talk as you can tell. <laughs> and I'd like to be able to, another goal would be if I could have my artwork in places where I was selling like two pieces a month, if I could sell like two pieces of art a month and just have a rolling flow with with my artwork going out so that I had a reason to paint uh-huh. a couple paintings a month. Hmm. That would be, so that's my, that's my hopes, um, for the next 30 years. I do expect the next 25 years to be the most productive of my life. 
Wow. I do. I was talking today. As a matter of fact, one of my girls is really into astrology, which is not a thing I'm into, but I'm in Aries. And apparently <laughs> Chiron just moved into Aries. Chiron is the wounded healer. And Chiron has moved into Aries and will be there for the next seven years. So I will be 62 in seven years. And I expect 62 to 80 to be my best years. I'm going to be on fire. That's badass. It is. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm getting my tattoo. I'm looking. I'm going tomorrow to get my my. I am tattooless at 55, and I've decided I'm going to get a full sleeve tattoo. Wow. With, with all of my <laughs> sacred symbols on it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. As I step out into the world, so not only are they with me, but they create the space everywhere I go. Mm. Yeah. I want to see that. You will see it, dude. I'm going to, she's going to draw it out for me tomorrow. We're going to spend two hours and then I'm going to spend the next probably year and a half getting it done. Peace okay. Peace. Really quick. What's your thought on tattoos? Cause my mother, who's around the same age as you, like tattoos are forbidden and like the worst thing that somebody can do to themselves <laughs> or their bodies. Like what is no, your... the worst thing you can do for yourself in your body is you can be in a dead relationship that you hate. <laughs> eating bad food and watching bad TV. That's the worst thing you can do. So. <laughs> That's so true. Um, I think tattoos are, you know, uh, I, the way I'm getting this tattoo is very, I've realized, I didn't realize till I started to talk to the artist that this is very much of, a, of an ancient traditional way to get tattoos, mm. that I am using them as empowered um, symbols on my body for for protection and for power. So, which is, I think, I think you know, having moved running with bikers a lot of my life, that's a lot of what tattoos are for people is mm. is symbolic protection um, for power and and shielding. Um, but it's also it's it's a tremendous you know to use your body as expressive art. I think it's beautiful. Mm. Now, there's a lot of ugly ass tattoos <laughs> out there, and I'm like, really? You want to get two lemons on your boobs? Like that's bad, girl. You know? Or, I mean, I've seen some bad tattoos, okay? But, but you know, there's bad art, in my opinion, too, right? That's just my opinion. If you like your lemons, you go right ahead um, with your bad self. So. <laughs> What do you think about tattoos? Oh, I want them. I want tattoos. I want plugs, everything. But, you know, I grew up. Oh, well, you should come with me tomorrow to my girl while I do the thing and meet her. Do you want to come? What time? 10 to 12. It's over in Berkeley. I have school. You get school. All right. Well, you know what? I'll keep. It's a long process. Yeah. We're just drawing tomorrow. Yeah. You can come with me when I get it. She's a rad <laughs> artist. Her name's Hannah Wolf. She's over in she's okay. over in Berkeley, and I'm really excited to work with her. Nice. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. We gotta, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm not getting like some anchor or some shit. You know, I'm getting. These are good. She's good. Yeah, she's a good artist. So I'm excited. I'm putting together all the different pieces. She's gonna build them together as an element on my arm. Mm. It's probably gonna have. It's got some prayers in there. It's wow. got all kinds of sacred symbols. And then, what I want to do is figure out because it's like a puzzle because it's expensive yeah. to get. You know, it takes a long time. So. You know, it's probably going to be, I don't know how many sittings, I'm guessing like four or five mm. sittings over a long period of time to get it, because it's like 600 a whack. 
at least to st it's like yeah it's like two hours is 600 bucks so so i'm gonna get them done like a puzzle so i want to have the whole puzzle and see it and then decide which pieces to put in so it doesn't look like crap as it's getting done yeah <laughs> right yeah no i'm very excited Aww. you know i mean that was right after i left my husband um i i was at an art show in fact i don't did we even know each other when the raw art show happened I don't think we did. You were there taking pictures at the Raw Art Show down on... 1015? Yeah, 1015. Oh, no. And well, you saw my art, but you didn't know who I was? I saw your art, but my friend that I went with was like, oh, my God, her art is amazing. I want her to paint me. Um, who are they? I'll paint them. Oh, my friend Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She well, keeps asking. She's dude, like, hey, hook me up. What, am I just going to be like, hey, can... I would love to. Do, I don't, she doesn't have to. I don't have... I mean, I do work on commission, like the uh -huh. ones with the hair like that. Like, yeah. I do that on commission, but I actually would love to do another one. I would love to paint people, so give me her. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I was there, and um, uh, I was having a hard time, because, you know, dissolving a marriage, it's all very platonic, but it's really painful. Anyway, um, and... Uh, and so I painted myself. I painted a big snake on my body. I made my lips green. I teased my hair all out like an 80s bad heavy metal rock person. And um, and I was sitting there talking to this handsome man. Oh, my goodness. And uh, <laughs> also, not a young man, a handsome older man. And and there was, an, uh, there was, a, um, there was a runway, and people were showing fashion. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at fashion, and a lot of the girls, they had tattoos. And what, I've always loved sleeve tattoos. And, uh, and I said, oh, I would love to get a sleeve tattoo. And he said, why don't you get a sleeve tattoo? I said, I'm too old. And he looked at me, and he was like, what? And I was like, oh, right. Like, what, what difference does that make? Mm. Like, like your mom. Like, there's some idea, there's some image, some idea of what was supposed to do based on some ex somebody else's idea like, why can't I get a tattoo at 55? So that's what I'm going to do. Plus, my arms look awesome because I work out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rocking 55, I just got to say it. But, um, yeah, so I think tattoos are great. I think tattoos. Just don't, I, you know, the only thing is the face tattoo thing. I told my daughter, don't get a tattoo on your face. <laughs> Unless you're Maori person what about fingers fingers are fine because i do like i would want them on the insides of my fingers people do cool stuff yeah yeah these all you know the only thing the face thing is a little it depends what you're doing though yeah it depends what you're doing I, for me i'm not getting a face tattoo <laughs> i'm just gonna say that i'm not gonna i'm probably not gonna get a neck tattoo but um but, you know, I could come back in three years and change my mind. What would you get if you had to get a face tattoo? <laughs> oh, I'd have to think about that for a long time. I can't even. What wouldn't you get? I would, the first thing I see is, like, those prison tattoos that all bleed out that have, like, somebody's name on them. I wouldn't get, like, someone's name written on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Or a star under my eye. No, or a teardrop. Somebody had teardrops tattooed on their face. Yeah, that's bad face tattoos. No, I don't want a face tattoo. <laughs> no. That's my well, you know what those mean, right? What? Teardrops? No. I th on each side of the face, it's different. But, like, this is like you murdered somebody 
Like, and then each teardrop for each murder. Nice. I think. Yeah, that's what I want. Murdering teardrop tattoos. Yikes. Yeah. Blech. No. Yeah, that would contradict what you're trying to do. It is. Well, those people can come and do therapy with me <laughs> at ReneeMcKenna.com. <laughs> if you want to be on my podcast, you can shoot me a text, 415-672-4992. Or you can shoot me an email, info at ReneeMcKenna.com. It's R-E-N-E-E-M-C-K-E-N-N-A. I'll put that in the uh, description as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Scotty, I appreciate you. I love you. Love you too. So good to talk today. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yay.
And so you have an inspiration, you have a creative idea. Now, a lot of things can just die right there. It can die right there and never move past that point. Welcome to Spiritual Psychology with Renee McKenna. I'm a therapist and healer here in San Francisco. And if you want real change on a soul level, you've come to the right place. This call is now being recorded. Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. And what did you want to work on today? We were talking about kind of a back and forth dialogue that's going on that's not very helpful. Yes, my inner critic. And so what's the inner critic? Tell me about the inner critic. Um, so I have a back and forth of thoughts, like a looping back and forth of thoughts of the things I want in my life and how great I want them to be, but then there is also these thoughts of, oh, well, it's not going to be anything and you're not going to be anything, Mm. and and you're not going to succeed in this. In whatever way. Okay. So that's that's really, really common to have that back and forth like that. It's also really painful. Mm-hmm. So all right, so let's let's do some work on that. So um why don't you take a minute and just kind of ground yourself in your body. If you can See if you can notice whether there's any tension in your body, any physical tension in your body. Maybe take a nice deep in-breath and kind of draw it into places where there might be physical tension in your body and just exhale that out. Inhaling into any physical tension and exhaling, releasing that physical tension. And you might want to notice if there's any places where you have emotional tension in your body and see if you can do the same see if you can bring your breath into the places where there's emotional tension and release that emotional tension on your exhale breathing into any emotional tension releasing it and then 
you can notice any places where there might be mental tension in your body. Just breathing into any mental tension and releasing that on your out-breath. And see, just take a minute and open your inner senses, your inner senses of sight and sound, taste, touch, smell, instinct, intuition. Just open those all quite widely. And I wonder if you can notice where the inner critic lives in your body or in your head. Where does um, the it's in my forehead, or like is mm-hmm. on my forehead. And it's like tightening of muscles on my forehead. Mm-hmm. Good. And so, if it had a shape or a color, what shape or color would it be? Um, I'm going to go with the shape that I feel. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, so it's just the shape of my uh, of my forehead, so like an oval. Okay. And if it had a color, what color would it be? Mm. Orange. And does it have a density? Is it like a solid, a liquid, a gas? It's solid. Does it have a temperature? Um, a little hot. So I wonder if you could sense or feel or imagine that you could move this kind of hot, solid orange oval out of your forehead and that it could personify itself in front of you with limbs and a head and a face. We can move that energy out of your forehead, that inner critic, that oval, orange, solid, and it would personify itself in front of you with limbs and a head and a face. What size is it? About the size of me. Mm-hmm. A little and bit bigger. The, okay. And what's the covering of its body? What's the covering? What's mm-hmm. what's it, does it have clothes on? Does it have skin? Does it have scales? Like, what's the covering of its body? It has clothes on. Mm-hmm. What color? Um, Dark blue, black. And what's it? Does it have a gender? It's male. What's its personality like? He's rigid, um, heavy, a dark sense of humor. Um, 
And yeah, he's just uh, not a nice guy. And what's his purpose? What's his purpose? Mm-hmm. It just wants to play with, like, play with me. Um, and not in a fun way. Like, it wants to just play with me. Like, my emotions bring me up and down. And what does it get out of that? Joy. What does he feed on? He feeds on me giving in to him. He gets happy when I get upset. How does he feel about you? He doesn't like me. What doesn't he like? Hmm. Hmm. One moment. He just doesn't like anything good about me. He doesn't like what's good about you? Yeah. Positive or like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What doesn't he like about good or positive things? It makes him feel powerless. What does he want? He just wants me to give him the attention to give them to him. So he wants you to give him attention. What does he really need? What's his deepest, most authentic need? Love. And how will he feel if he gets love? Um, he won't know how to handle it. <laughs> At first, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess he'll feel overwhelmed. 
still feel out of place. Although that is what he needs, but I, I get this feeling that he'll feel out of place or unworthy. And so he'll shoo it away. But if he was able to receive it, how would he feel? If he was able to get the love that he really needed. He would feel alive. Mm-hmm. He would feel better, more full, complete. So I wonder if you can sense or feel or imagine that your body dissolves into a nectar or an elixir that is exactly the quality of love and aliveness and completeness that we actually really need. So your body dissolves into a nectar or an elixir of love. And that nectar moves toward him and he's able to take it up, to receive it, to drink it or eat it or absorb it through his skin or it pours over him. And what's the color, texture, or quality of the nectar? It's a liquid like water, but it's silver and shiny. Mm -hmm. And how does he take it up or receive it? Um, It's in a bowl, in a big bowl. And he grabs it with his, uh, cups it with his two hands. And he drinks it. And rubs it on his arms and body. And we need to know that there's an infinite supply of this silver water with the quality of love. That's exactly what he really needs. He can drink and absorb and receive this to his complete satisfaction. An endless supply of love, completeness, fullness, feeling of being alive. It's okay for him to receive this as much as he needs. Endless supply. What happens if he takes it up? What happens when he picks it up? Mm -hmm. What's happening to him as he receives this love? Well, he has something else to put his attention on. Mm -hmm. And he seems captivated with it. Mm. So we're just going to let him continue to feed and drink, rub this on his body as much as he needs. 
you to his complete satisfaction. An infinite supply. Exactly what he really needs. The love, completeness. Drink. Rub it on himself. The silver water of love. And what's happening? He shrinks. Mm. He can continue to receive this love. Much as he needs. Receiving and receiving. And he feels complete, better, and full and alive. Infinite supply. Love, fullness. And what's happening now? He's tiny and joyful. <laughs> and has he had his fill, he can continue to receive all the love he needs if he needs more. I think he's oh go ahead. Go ahead. I think he's just enjoying it, being really, really small and tiny and bathing in it and taking it in. He's enjoying it. That's great. So let him continue to bathe in it and enjoy it, basking that love that he really needs. This is completion and fullness. Does he shrink more or does he stay the same? No, I think he's gone now. I really do. Okay. So we want to ask for an ally to appear. And just notice what comes. Doesn't have to make any sense. What is the ally that will take his place? Can it be a previous ally? Sure. Like a tree? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll choose a tree. And so, tell me about tree. What are the qualities of tree? 
tree has a wisdom. Mm-hmm. A great big tree has wisdom. It has many years of life. It, uh, it knows the ends and outs of the world and is very in tune. Um, it is sturdy. It is strong. It is trusting. Um, and it is confident. And how does Tree feel about you? Tree loves me. Hmm. And how will Tree help you? I feel like a tree... is a guiding force mm-hmm. um, within my life in this this practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something that I can always rely on. Um, mm-hmm. It's so wise. Mm-hmm. And how will tree protect you? That is a hard question, but um, I feel like tree is something that I can rely on. Um, Mm -hmm. And when things get tough or scary, I can always just honestly revert back to the tree. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be there. And is there a vow or promise the tree makes to you? I'm getting the tree will always have me and hold me Mm -hmm. and have my back. And how can you connect with the tree? I don't know. See if you can ask Tree, how can I connect with you? I feel like the tree wants me to connect to it through myself, mm-hmm. like going deep down, mm. connecting to myself, and within that, I connect with the tree. Mm. Does that make sense to you? 
Yeah, it does. How does Tree feel about your hopes and dreams? Hmm. I personally just got nervous when you said that question. Um, Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's see. Let me ask. The tree full-heartedly or wholeheartedly uh, supports my hopes and dreams. And how is it to get the wholehearted support for your hopes and dreams? It makes me happy. Mm. Happy, happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can sense or feel or imagine that the energy of tree is being offered to you. And the tree pours its energy into your body. May enter through the top of your head or your throat or your eyes or your heart. All around you. How does tree pour its energy into you? It's up the root of my spine and through my arms. Mm. So I feel that energy. Mm-hmm. So really opening to receive the wisdom and the strength and the trust, confidence. Sturdiness of tree into your body, into your mind, into your emotions, to your spirit and your energy system. Really receiving on all levels, all the wisdom and strength of tree. And knowing that all areas of your life will be informed and transformed by this energy, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, creatively, professionally, relationally, sexually, socially. And that this transmission will continue to inform and transform you in the days and weeks and months and even years to come, whether you're aware of it or not. And that you integrate this energy into every cell of your body, all the way down to the soles of your feet, tips of your fingers, and all the way up to the crown of your head. 
can take all the time you need. Let me know when that feels complete. Okay. So ask Tree if there's anything else that wants to be done or communicated for right now to be complete with this. It just says, be yourself. Mm. And how is it to hear that? It is good, but also nerve-wracking. <laughs> What's nerve-wracking about it? Mm. Because I've never really been given permission to be my wholeheartedly true self. Mm. And how is it to get that permission to wholeheartedly be your true self? Satisfying, mm. for sure. Yeah. What's satisfying about it? I spend all day worrying, mm -hmm. worrying, worrying, worrying about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, just, just that permission to be myself um, stops that worrying. You know, to me, it feels even beyond permission. It feels like a directive. Directive. Do you know what a directive is? Yes. And how because do you feel that way? It's just a sense I have that okay. it's, it's beyond permission that you're actually being encouraged. That that's really what your job is. It's to be you. Because mm. every day I'm always looking at other people and then always swayed by what they're doing or what they feel. Mm -hmm. And I don't really connect with uh with what's going on inside, or I I push down what is going on inside because mm. I get distracted or I get envious or whatever it may be. But I definitely get distracted. Well, that's the work. I think it yeah. really is our work, is to be our most authentic self. Yeah. That we're each a unique creation and expression. We each have a particular note to play in the symphony. And 
that's our work is to be able to to find that, to tune it, and to have the courage and to find the resources to help us to bring that out. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so tree is a resource to support that. To connect you with that truth and the truth of yourself. Okay. So you might want to take a minute and express gratitude. And know that when something has been transformed or transmuted by the energy of love, It's like the alchemical process of garbage turning into compost. Mm. It can never be reversed. Mm. And so we look forward to seeing what happens going forward from this new place. I do too. So thank you so much for sharing. That was a really beautiful process. Great work. Yeah. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank you. We will talk again. <laughs> we will. Thank you, Renee. All right, dear. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening today. I'm so grateful for the people that are willing to share their deep experiences with us on spiritual psychology. If you're interested in being on the show, being a guest client, you're welcome to send me an email at info at com. R-E-N-E-E-M-C-K-E-N-N-A. You can also shoot me a text at 415-672-4992, and I'd be happy to set something up. Most of these sessions are recorded over the phone, and I really look forward to spreading this work and helping you if you're interested. Have a great day, and I'll look forward to sharing more of this great work with you in the future.
flat black plastic. It's special Tuesday afternoon version that's going to be subbed in on Saturday, so who knows what's going to happen with, you know. From the weed. In a country garden, a lovely rose looked down upon a common weed and said, You are an unwelcome guest, economically useless and unsightly of appearance. The devil must love weeds. He made so many of them. The unwelcome guest looked up at the rose and said, Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. And one supposes that goes for roses. My name is Dorothy Perkins, the rose said haughtily. What are you, a beetle weed, a bladder weed, a beggar weed? The names of weeds are ugly. And Dorothy shuddered slightly, but lost none of her pretty petals.
Thank you. 